If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will heal here from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. The young family at Bridgeway decides that it's time to have the pastor and his wife over for a meal. And so schedules are arranged and the diet is chosen, the meal is chosen, the house is cleaned and the pastor and his wife are set to arrive. And before they arrive, the young family, mom and dad, sit down with their three rambunctious children and they give them the lecture about being on their best behavior when the pastor comes to visit. Elizabeth, Josiah, David... We have to have you have your best behavior. No embarrassing us, okay? And Josiah goes, okay, okay. So the pastor and his wife arrive and they sit down for the meal together. And the father of the house looks at the pastor and says, Pastor, would you like to pray for the meal? And so the pastor bows his head and prays. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the hospitality. We thank you for the meal. We pray that you'll be part of our gathering and that we will honor you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Short and brief, the pastor opens his eyes and little Josiah is looking at him wide-eyed. And pastor says, what? And Josiah says, boy, pastor, you don't pray so long when you're hungry. <laughs> I hope that story gives you a little bit of a chuckle this morning as we start our time in God's word. And I hope that wherever you are, maybe you sent up a quick prayer for Ryan and Rachel, Elizabeth, Josiah, and David. We're continuing to talk about prayer in our sermon this morning. Uh, Our prayer series is called If My People, and it is just that reminder that God is calling his people to be a people of prayer. In week chapter one, we asked ourselves, what if we jumped? And we saw that the heart of God is that God wants his people to be praying. He wants his people to be a people of prayer. And so we asked ourselves, what if we jump? What if we just became that kind of a person? What if together we took that moment and we sought God together? We know that God wants us to pray. What if we just did it? What if we jumped? Then in week week two, we called our sermon Trembling, and we began to look at the very first a prayer meeting that happened in the early church in Acts chapter 4. We know that the church in Acts set the world on fire with the gospel of Jesus. And so there's always a part of us that aspires to be like that, trembling like they did in Acts 4. And we saw three components to an essential prayer. Number one, they gathered together. They got together, even in times of persecution. Number two, they focused on God rather than themselves. And then number three, they looked out for each other. Anytime that we connect our hearts to God's heart, he's going to show us the needs of other people around us. He's going to give us his heart, which is a heart for other people. This morning, our focus verse is the words of Jesus found in the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, Verse 7, Jesus instructs his disciples thusly, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. 
Now, maybe some of you have memorized that in an older translation of Scripture. And I like how some of the modern translations have tried to bring in the impact of these verbs. These are not things that we do once. These are ongoing actions that the church of God, disciples of Jesus, are supposed to do. We don't just ask once. We keep on asking. We don't just uh, seek once. We keep on seeking. We don't just knock once. We keep on knocking. This is what God is calling us to do. This is how Jesus instructs his first disciples for prayer. Keep on doing it. If, if prayer is connecting our hearts to God's heart, then you don't turn the engine off just because it's idling. <laughs> Elaine has a new car, fairly new for us anyways, and, and when she stops at a stoplight, it, it, if, it's, if it's stopped for any length of time, it actually stops the engine. And then when the light turns green, it restarts the engine. When other people drive the vehicle, we have to explain that to them because it freaks them out at first, right? But there are places in northern Canada where all winter long they run their machines, they run their heavy equipment, and those motors never turn off. And that's how we need to be with our connection to God. It needs to be an ongoing, constant connection. You don't turn the motor off just because it's idling. You don't hang up the phone, (laughs) That's an interesting one. You want to feel old? Ask your kids where it is that we get that expression from, hang up the phone. (laughs) Their bewilderment will make you feel like you're ancient, right? Hang up the phone. What? (laughs) Yeah. The God of the universe wants us, his beloved dust. He wants us to pray and to keep on praying. To seek and to keep on seeking. To knock and to keep on knocking. Prayer is a prerequisite to everything else that we do. Now, you think about the word prerequisite. That is something that has to happen in order for everything else to happen after it, right? It's the first thing that needs to happen. And if it doesn't happen, then everything else that follows it may not happen. It is a prerequisite. So this morning, what I'm sharing with you is this idea that prayer uh, is actually a prayer requisite. It's the first thing that needs to happen in the church. Prayer. That's why I'm calling my sermon this morning the prayer requisite, because prayer is a prerequisite for everything else that happens. Never stop praying. So Matthew 7, 7 is our focus passage, but from Matthew 7, 7, we're going to just consider three truths that we see happening throughout Scripture. And the first truth found in Matthew 7, 7, but also throughout your Bibles, is this truth, that prayer always precedes a working of God. Whenever God is about to do something major, he looks for people who are praying. Why do we keep on asking? Why do we keep on seeking? Why do we keep on knocking? Because that's what God is looking for. Before the Holy Spirit of God starts to move on planet Earth, God always begins by raising up a man or woman of prayer. Moses, David, Elijah, Paul, John, over and over and over again. Whenever the creator of the universe is up to something, he raises up men and women of prayer first. Now I want you just to think about Moses for a second here, okay? Moses is a man of prayer, a humble man, a man of God, a man who seeks after God, right? And, and God's about to call the Israelites out of 400 years of slavery, okay? The exodus 
out of Egypt and into the promised land is the greatest work of God between creation and the coming of Jesus. So the Exodus is huge. It is the single greatest work of God between creation and Jesus. So what does God do? Before he sets the Israelites free, what does God do? Well, he goes looking for a man of prayer. He goes looking for Moses. Now, Moses may be a prayer monster, but he's not a perfect man by any means. At this point, out in the wilderness, 80 years old, Moses is a murderer. He's on the lamb. He's on the run from the law. And he's stuck in the back end of nowhere looking after sheep. But let me ask you this question. When you're stuck in the back of nowhere looking after sheep, when you're driving your tractor around on the harvest fields and you got nothing else to do, what are you going to do? You are going to pray. It's part of what you're going to do, right? And that's what Moses does. For 40 years in the wilderness, he's praying. And then all of a sudden, one day, he sees this burning bush. Now, you probably know the story of the burning bush, right? Moses goes over to see the burning bush, and God speaks to him out of the burning bush. But have you ever thought about that whole passage as being a passage about prayer? God is speaking to Moses. Moses is speaking to God. God is letting Moses know what he's doing. That's prayer. Moses connecting his heart to God's heart. God connecting his heart to Moses' heart. That is prayer. The burning bush is all about prayer. And what is the first thing God says to Moses when Moses walks over? He says, I have heard my people's cries for deliverance. I have heard my people's cries for deliverance. I've heard my people's prayers. In fact, he says it twice. He says it twice. God says it. I've I've listened to their prayers. Their prayers matter to me. And because of their prayers, because they prayed first, I'm about to do something. I'm about to deliver them. Look it down. Look it up. Write it down. Exodus chapter 3 is all about the burning bush. But Exodus chapter 2, especially verse 23 and 24 and 25, is all about prayer. Before the Exodus happens, God is calling his people to prayer. So God's about to do a major act in history, and he calls a man of prayer, Moses. And throughout the whole Exodus story, that pattern actually just repeats itself over and over again. Moses prays, God acts. Moses prays, God acts. Moses prays, God acts. You can can read it over and over again in the story of Moses. Moses just keeps on praying. He keeps on asking. He keeps on seeking. He keeps on knocking. And guess what? God just keeps on working. Now, I ask you a question. Do you think it's just Moses? Do you think he's the exception to the rule? <laughs> no, he is not. And I want you to just take a moment to think about this because whenever God is about to do a major work, he first raises up a man or woman of prayer. And now we're going to think about Jesus. Now we're going to consider Jesus. Jesus begins his ministry in prayer. Jesus is an incredible, incredible person, the Son of God. 
There's no one like Jesus in all of history. Jesus does a lot of incredible things. The sacrificial death that he dies for our sins on the cross, the fact that he has no sin and so he takes our sin and he covers our sin by his death and resurrection. That's amazing. That is incredible. But think back to the very start of Jesus' ministry. When he's grown up and he's just about to start his public ministry, how does he start it? Do you remember what he does? He prays. He goes out in the wilderness, just Jesus and God, and he prays. He fasts. He seeks God. Doesn't even bring a loaf of bread or a Snickers bar, right? He just goes out after God. He's not thirsty or hungry for food or for water. He's hungry and thirsty for God. Matthew 4.1, Jesus is led out into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. Mark 1 verse 12, immediately the Holy Spirit compels Jesus to go out into the wilderness and he's there for 40 days. Luke 4.1, and then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, leaves the Jordan River. He's led by the Spirit to go out into the wilderness where the devil tempts him for 40 days. 40 days tempted by the enemy. 40 days filled with the Holy Spirit. 40 days of fasting. 40 days with no food. 40 days with no water. 40 days of prayer. 40 days of asking. 40 days of seeking. 40 days of knocking. Before Jesus begins his public ministry, he begins with prayer. That's incredible. Prayer is amazing in the life of Jesus. Prayer precedes the miracles. Prayer precedes the teaching. Prayer precedes the work of Jesus on the cross. Prayer precedes the resurrection. Jesus begins his public ministry with prayer. And so we see this all throughout the ministry of Jesus as well. Not just that he begins his ministry with prayer and the whole three years that are going to follow, but every time that he's about to do something big, he begins with prayer. He's forever stealing away. He's forever walking away from the crowds. He's forever finding a quiet place out in the wilderness somewhere where he can pray. And the disciples, they're not the brightest bulbs, you know, in the whole, but, but they, they're watching Jesus. Right? They're, they're, they're seeing this pattern repeating itself where Jesus goes out in the wilderness and prays with his father and then he comes back and then he's with the crowds and he does these miracles and he does this teaching. And, and, and Jesus says, I, he never deserts me because I always do what pleases him. And so we see Jesus doing this. Prayer pleases God. And so Jesus is continually seeking God in prayer. He's constantly withdrawing from the crowd to be with God one-on-one, heart-to-heart. Jesus and God. So the miracles are amazing. The blind regain sight. The lame are healed. The demons are cast out. The miracles are amazing. The teaching of Jesus is also amazing. The illustrations from nature, the questions that no one can answer, the parables that he gives that shift our lives. The teaching is amazing. And the work of Jesus on the cross is also amazing. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. His death and his resurrection is amazing. But all of it, All of it is preceded by prayer. Prayer precedes the miracles. Prayer precedes the teaching. 
prayer precedes the cross, Jesus begins everything with prayer. So the disciples are watching this. They're watching Jesus slip away from the crowd to pray. And they come to Jesus and they have a request for him. They say, teacher, teach us to pray. Luke 11, verse 1. And these guys, along the way, they've asked some pretty dumb questions, like parking spots and Boston Cream Donuts at Tim Hortons. They've asked some pretty foolish questions. I mean, they've asked Jesus to, like, send the little kids away. That's like, no, that's not a prayer that Jesus is going to answer, right? They've asked Jesus if they could have positions of power in the kingdom that's coming. And Jesus is like, that is a ridiculous question. They've actually asked Jesus to send forth fire on some enemies of theirs. And Jesus is like, no, that is a ridiculous question. But here, this is an honorable request teacher teach us to pray prayer always precedes a major working of God Jesus begins his earthly ministry in prayer and guess what when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray they take that lesson to heart they actually begin to pray the early church begins with prayer before Paul goes on his missionary journeys, before Peter and John get sprung from jail, before thousands of people hear the gospel and get saved, before the Holy Spirit comes with tongues of fire, the early church is in prayer. It is a prayer requisite. Acts 1.14, they all met together continually for prayer. They all met together continually for prayer. Now, I'm kind of surprised whenever I encounter someone who hasn't noticed that in the book of Acts, there is a significant shift in prayer. There's a significant change in the way that God deals with humanity. And it starts in the book of Acts with Acts chapter 1 verse 14. And it actually follows throughout the whole book of Acts and then the rest of the New Testament. There's this whole shift that happens. You see, before Jesus comes along and dies for our sins, before Jesus comes along and changes everything, when you look at the Old Testament, the majority of God's work and the majority of prayers that you see in the Old Testament are not public prayers. They're not group prayers. They're private prayers. God raises up one man of God or one woman of God and makes them a prayer warrior. God is doing that with Moses and with David and, and with Elijah and with all the other uh, prophets. Moses uh, prays and, and the, the Red Sea parts, right? He prays and that happens. Elijah prays and the heavens dry up for three years, the original climate change, right? Daniel prays and those hungry lions have to go hungry for one one more night because Daniel prays. And so that's what we see in the Old Testament is that God is looking for individuals who are praying and then he's going to do some pretty miraculous works through individuals. But there's a shift that happens after the resurrection of Jesus. You see, Jesus is building his church, his bride, Ecclesia, the called out ones. This is what Jesus is doing. This is what he wants to have happen as a result of his death and resurrection. And prayer then becomes much less of an individual thing and it becomes a corporate thing. Us. God's people gathering to pray. It's not 
individual prayers. There's this monumental shift where God is now looking for the prayers of his people as they gather together to seek him and to pray, as they gather together to, to ask, as they gather together to, to seek, as they gather together to knock. That's what happens, not as individuals, together seeking God's face, connecting our hearts to God's hearts. This is an incredible shift because today, the bride of Christ, the church, is called to get together to pray. The elect ones are called to pray. Now, you cannot see it in our English translations because in English, the word you is both singular and plural. But trust me, it is there. In this passage, none of it is in the singular. It's all in the plural. Keep on asking together. And you, all of you, will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking together. And you, all of you, will find what you're looking for. Keep on knocking together. And the door will be opened to all of you. I like that idea. It's like a whole group of neighborhood kids getting together to play knock-knock ginger or ding-dong ditch or whatever the games were that you played when you were a little kid, right? We're all getting together to knock on the door. And God is saying, do that. Do that. Seek me together. Jesus gives them a promise, and it is a doozy. He says this, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together because they are mine, I'm there with them. Matthew 18, verse 19. Wherever two or three gather, if you want something, find another person, pray together, and it'll resonate with the heart of God. Jesus wants his church to pray together. Jesus wants us, you and me, to pray together. And then, and then, sometimes, only then, after we've prayed, God will begin to act. Prayer precedes the work of God. It happens in Jesus' life, happens in Moses' life, happens in the church's life, and guess what? Guess what? It is still happening today. It's happening throughout history. Whenever and wherever God wants to bring a revival, he first begins looking for people who are praying. And if you talk to missiologists or church historians, that's one dynamic that they see happening over and over and over again as they begin to look at the revivals down through church history, the specific geographical locations where the Holy Spirit begins to move and the, and the people of God begin to respond to them. It's always preceded by prayer. If you go look at the, the Scottish revival in the Hebrides Islands, it starts off, they can trace it back to two little old ladies who got together to pray for revival. That's where it started with prayer. If you look at the Welsh revival in 1904, 1905, guess how it started? It started with one church, one group of people, one small gathering, 20 people maybe, gathering together to pray. When you look at the, the revivals in New England, in America, in the 1700s, you can trace every single one of those revivals to the prayer of the people. The people are getting together to pray. It is still happening today. Read your histories and see it for yourself. 
the Hungarian revival in the late 1800s starts with people praying. When God's people pray, God acts. And when God's people don't pray, sometimes God doesn't act. The book of James says, you don't have because you don't ask. And I want you to think about that because God is doing all sorts of things all over this world right now. There's all sorts of revival happening in all sorts of places. And prayer is always intimately connected. I had an online friend. We played a game online together. And she lived in Egypt. And this is about 10 years ago. And she comes online and she's talking about the unrest that is happening in Egypt. And here in the West, all we heard about was this this political unrest. That people were protesting the government. And she's on the ground in Cairo. And she says, no, 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 that's not what's happening. All of this political stuff is just a mask. Because what is happening is the church in Egypt is praying for revival. And God is sending dreams and visions to people who never knew about Jesus, who had no other way of finding out about him. She says, the church is praying. People are coming to the Lord. That's why there's problems. That's why the enemy is at work attacking us. It has nothing to do with the politics. It has nothing to do with the politics. Missiologists claim that that's happening right now throughout the Middle East. God's people are praying, and God is acting, and there's a revival that's happening. People who only knew Jesus' name, Isa, from their Quran are seeing him in dreams and visions because of the prayers of God's people. My mom has a heart for the country of China, and, and from about 1991 till her health started to fail a couple of years ago, she went to China like a dozen times or so. She said the same thing's happening there. The church is gathering primarily to pray. And as the church is gathering to pray, God is acting in China. There's a a revival that is sweeping throughout China. House churches that are gathering together to pray. Think about North Korea and South Korea. One of the most Christian places on planet Earth right now is South Korea. One of the most unchristian places on Earth right now is North Korea. And what is the difference between those two countries? It's not political. It's not beliefs. It's not culture. It's not language. It is simply that the people in South Korea have become a church of prayer. And God has answered their prayers. And God has just brought this huge revival to South. I mean, just go online and, and, and do some research on South Korea and the prayers that are happening and how God is acting because his people are praying. There's incredible movements of God all over the world and almost without exception. When you look at where revival is occurring, it begins with prayer. Now, there's four dead zones on planet Earth right now. There's four areas on our planet where it seems like God is not acting particularly strongly. There's little pockets of revival, and there's, there's little things happening, but these are the four dead zones. They are Australia, they are Japan, Western Europe, and North America, Turtle Island. These are the areas where there's not a huge revival in the church. 
And guess what else marks these four areas? There's a prayerlessness. The church isn't praying. They're not hungry. They're not thirsty. They're not seeking after God in these areas. By and large, the church in these four areas is not praying. Where's God working? God is working where people are praying. Where are the dead spots? The dead spots are places where people aren't praying. We need to pray. We need to start seeking. We need to start asking. We need to start knocking. God has connected his working to our praying. It is both commanded and evidenced in Scripture. When God begins a work, he begins by raising up prayer warriors. Jesus begins his earthly ministry with prayer, and every time he's about to do something incredible, he prays. Garden of Gethsemane, before his arrest and crucifixion, Jesus is praying. The early church begins in Acts chapter 114 with prayer, and then throughout the whole rest of the book of Acts and the whole rest of the Bible, when you see people praying, God acts. Paul and Silas in in jail in Philippi. They pray, and that's when the earthquake happens. And today, around the world, prayer is inextricably linked to the working of God. Where God's people pray, God begins to act. It is a prayer requisite. I want to close with a personal story, a little bit of a warning. See, when I began ministry at my last church, I was pretty young and I was deeply committed to prayer. Deeply committed to prayer. I was convinced that if there was going to be anything that I would offer my church, it would be my prayers. And so I prayed. And at first, it, it was just me by myself in my office, in my prayer uh, cellar. It was just me praying. For three years, I prayed all by myself. And after three years, we had a church split. <laughs> and so it's just like, what? That's not what I was praying for. But here's what happened. Because a whole group of people left, everybody that remained, they started to get hungry. And we started to seek God together. People started to come to pray with their pastor. They started to gather to prayer. They had life groups where they didn't even study the scripture. They didn't do their Bible study because they spent the entire life group praying. It was just amazing. And God began to move. He began to heal our little church as we sought him together. As we prayed, God began to move. And it was incredible. All of a sudden, unbelievers start showing up in our church and getting saved. And, and we just keep on praying. And at one point, we shut down every other ministry in the church. Everything else we shut down other than prayer. All we did was we got together on Sunday morning. That was also a time of prayer. And we prayed. That's what we did. We didn't do anything else. And God moved. And in four years, that little church doubled in size. At one point, he did a baptism with five people. Five people being baptized. And the incredible thing as I thought about those five people was each one of those people was a Christian for less than three years. They'd all come to faith 
because of our prayers. Not only that, but each one of those five people had become a Christian through people in our church or ministries in our church. As we prayed together, we had an impact on our community. And not only that, but those five people that we baptized, each one of them came out of a very non-Christian family. They were beachheads into enemy territory. It was incredible. I saw it for myself when we began to pray God began to work. And then it all fell apart. It all fell apart. The enemy got a foothold in our church. And about a week after I wind up resigning, I get a phone call from one of my close friends, brother in Christ, fellow prayer warrior, and he's crying on the phone and he's going, Nick, do you know what happened here? It's not about people fighting with other people. It's not about the enemy getting a foothold. What happened here, Nick? We stopped praying. We stopped praying. I had a friend who was sitting on the elder board. He said the same thing. They met in secret for about six weeks. And in their meetings... They weren't praying. They were trying to solve their problems on their own without seeking God. It's because we stopped praying. My friends, I'm begging you right now. You've taken half an hour to listen to this sermon, to Matthew 7. You've taken a little bit of time to do that. And you've heard my faltering words. I want to encourage you. I want to beg you. Don't don't let it stop with just a little thought. Take some time this week. Pull out your your computer or your phone and, and Google this phrase. Prayer precedes revival. Just, just Google that and, and spend some time reading some of the articles that are going to pop out, listening to some of the sermons that are going to show up when you Google that, when you ask, uh, when you look at the internet for that idea. Prayer precedes revival. Because it's just, it's not something that I'm saying. It's something that God has declared to be true. When God's people pray, I will act. But it's a prayer requisite. It begins with prayer. His bride needs to seek his heart. My friends at Bridgeway, my beloved brothers and sisters in Jesus, we need to start asking together and keep on asking. We need to start seeking together And keep on seeking. We need to start knocking. Together. And keep on knocking. We need to pray.